This is The Engine Room, Home Church Scotland's leadership podcast. Leadership is the driving force behind any organisation. Thanks for joining us as we share some of the things that we've learned on our leadership journey. We're looking, of course, as traits of the greats. And when I was considering this yesterday at 6pm, <laughs> um, I was thinking about who to share with you today. And the person I want to speak about today, and I think that we'll, we'll get quite a lot from his life and what he achieved in God, is not perhaps considered by many to be one of the greats. But this person that we read about in Acts and chapter 6 initially, and we read about him four times in Acts, he, um, he started a revival in Samaria. And then he went on to convert or help the conversion of the first missionary to Africa. And then he went on to achieve some other great things during his life. And I want to look at some of the, the traits of this, this man. And we're going to pick up the story. First of all, in Acts 6, I'm going to read from verse 1. It says, Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Procurus, Nicana, Timon, Panamus, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So this is the, the point where we first meet someone called Philip. Now this isn't Philip the apostle. Uh, in fact, we rarely hear of Philip the apostle. Uh, we hear much more in the Acts of the Apostles about Philip the deacon, who becomes Philip the evangelist. So it is interesting to see that this person who's not considered to be one of the greats necessarily, actually is mentioned more perhaps than some of the apostles are. So we're going to have a look first of all at this, uh, these few verses and see what do we, we get from this man called Philip and as he is appointed as a deacon. I think perhaps many of us might look at great men and women of scripture and, and we would say, well, we can kind of relate to them. Uh, some would say, I feel like I'm more of an Elijah. You know, I'm, I'm more of an Abraham. I'm, I'm more of a Joshua. For me, Philip is the person I relate to. He's just a, an ordinary guy that God uses tremendously at moments in his life. So Philip is appointed as a deacon. They chose seven men to serve on tables. So this is the first point. He had a servant heart. He was a man who served. And it's interesting that when you think about it, he was a waiter. And he probably washed up the dishes afterwards. I don't know. But he just served the widows with their food on a daily basis. And he did that faithfully. I know when we become Christians, 
Uh, we get really excited about it, don't we? And we think, wow, I want to be at every meeting. I want to get involved in everything. I want to go and convert the world. I want to be Billy Graham. I want to be a great evangelist. I want to go and do this. And you see new Christians, and there's nothing wrong with that fervor and that passion. But the first thing that they need to learn is how to serve. And often these days, I think we forget how important that is. Just as Christ came to serve, so we also must learn to serve. Um, he learnt under the guidance of, of the apostles. And he served on a daily basis. He was faithful in that. And I think as we learn to serve, then we will learn to lead. We can't learn to lead until we've learned to serve. And that's how Jesus taught it. That's how we're meant to be as well. The second thing that we see as a deacon is that he was an honest man. We know that because they chose seven men who were of honest report or good repute. And this kind of reminds us afresh, I guess, how honesty and integrity is important, whether we're in leadership, whether we're just representing Christ as a Christian, a follower of Jesus in our world. Integrity, integrity, integrity. How many politicians, how many prime ministers, presidents have come to power and only to discover that either in their past or in their present, they're not being honest. In fact, some of them, they just lie all the time, don't they? I mean, it's, it's horrendous. And yet, as Christians, we cannot afford to be anything but men and women of integrity. And he obviously was, his reputation preceded him as a man of integrity. Also in verse 3, we see he was a spirit-filled man. He was a man full of the Holy Spirit. And you might think, well, that's interesting because he's serving the widows with their food and doing the washing up, whatever he was doing. Why did he need to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, we all need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, amen? It's something that's so important for us. How else are we going to to know what the Holy Spirit wants us to do and how to do it. And, and even if you're serving on tables, who to speak to and, and having those, those God-given moments when we can speak into someone's life who's going through times of trouble, we can't do that naturally with our natural wisdom. We need the Holy Spirit. And it can make such a difference if we're, wherever we are serving is, is just being in tune and filled with the Holy Spirit. And the fourth point that we see from this is that he was a man full of wisdom. And of course, it's not man's wisdom, it's God's wisdom. And we can prove that in our lives, whether we're foolish or whether we're wise. And it's not a natural thing, again, it's something of the Holy Spirit. There's a difference between man's wisdom and God's wisdom. In 1 Corinthians 1.18, it says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. So we need to be men and women who have the wisdom of God. And even in our church and church growth, and we're blessed to be in a church that is growing, um, we have to always be drawing on the wisdom of God because it'd be so easy to fall into the trap of being just trendy or gimmicky or even compromising the gospel in order to attract more people. And there's nothing wrong in being contemporary 
It's important to be contemporary, but we have to be careful and be wise in what we do to ensure that the message of the gospel is always the heart of everything we do and Jesus is always our focus. I know Pastor Dave is always saying that and it's important that we, we some churches have fallen into that trap. I know of one church that decided to do very much what we're doing here with all the blackout and the screens and the, the big lights and everything, but I think they forgot it's about Jesus and they're now closed. And, you know, it's important that I think you can kind of gauge whether you're exercising wisdom and following the direction of the Spirit on seeing are people getting saved. Because God will only entrust new babes in Christ to a church family that is doing it right, is loving Jesus and, and, and focusing on, on, on the love of God. And I think we're seeing that. And I want to see a lot more of that. Amen. Um, more, Lord, more, Lord. Um, but we also need, of course, to ensure that as new Christians come into the fellowship, that we surround them with love and encouragement and support. Okay, so that's really the, the full things that we see, the traits of Philip the deacon. Now, we read about him again in Acts chapter 8. I just want to read a few verses there, starting from verse 2. This is in Jerusalem. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. I don't know about you, but just as an aside, what did Jesus say to his disciples about going into all the world? In Jerusalem and Samaria, or Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And they were still stuck in Jerusalem. And they were quite happy in Jerusalem. And it, sometimes it takes something like persecution to actually rock our boat a bit and get us doing what God actually wanted us to do. And it wasn't the apostles that went out, it was just the Christians, and in this case, a deacon. He went out to Samaria. You know about the Samaritans. They didn't get on very well with the Jews. Um, Jesus loved the Samaritans as much as he did anyone, and we see that from examples of his life. But we see here Philip, first of all, he was a fearless man. He went into Samaria, which was really a country that did not accept Jews. Uh, they were looking forward for a Messiah, the same Messiah. And as Philip went into their city, he didn't hide away. He immediately started to do what the apostles did. He hadn't done it before, perhaps. We don't know that, but we think he was just serving on tables. But he'd watched what the apostles did and thought, right, I'm on my own here. What should I do? I'm going to copy them. I'm going to imitate them. I'm going to do what they would do. And of course, as a result, he saw an incredible revival break out, which is amazing. And he had no fear to do that, standing up in the streets of a city that would normally you know, say, 
get out. We don't want you here. You're a foreigner. We, we, we're not having you here. And he preached and many people encountered God. And as he preached Jesus, many people came to Christ. He was fearless. He was not ashamed of the gospel. And I wonder sometimes, I'm not advocating that we should be street preachers because I think sometimes there is a, uh, an opportunity for that to be done and other times it just doesn't work. To be, It actually puts people off. So I'm not going into that whole thing at the moment. But if God told you to go on the streets of Kirk and Tillich or Cumbernauld or even Kilsyth, and, and preach or at least talk to people on the streets about Jesus, would we do it? Would we be fearless? Probably naturally we'd be terrified. But with, again, the Holy Spirit's anointing, we can do this. And it can have a radical impact on people's lives as they get to know Jesus Christ. Not only was he fearless, he was powerful in and through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Miracles get people's attention. I'm not talking about fake miracles that we've sometimes seen uh, on our television screens. I'm talking about the real thing like we've encountered recently as we've prayed for people and seen miracles happen. And he may never have seen miracles happen by his own preaching before, but he'd seen it through the apostles. And there is no reason on earth why we as individuals cannot pray for someone and see a miracle happen in their lives. We don't need to invite someone over from across the, the pond, all right, to, to be the miracle worker. The Holy Spirit is the same here as he is anywhere. And as we allow ourselves to be used by the Holy Spirit and to pray with wisdom and discernment, we can see miracles happen. And I must admit, in, a, in, a, in, a, in one way, <laughs> I mean, I really do, I would love to see our, our meetings interrupted by miracles. <laughs> you know, suddenly you're having a meeting and someone is delivered of demons. Now, it's, it's pretty crazy if you ever witnessed that, but it's also incredible because you see a life changed and transformed and set free and... You know, to have interruptions like that with miracles would be great. To see suddenly, suddenly someone who couldn't walk running forward, you know, and then just dancing around the room and leaping and praising God. I mean, I want to see more of that. And because miracles don't have to prove God, but they do prove God, if you want to put it that way. And we have to have the faith to believe that God can and will do that today. Philip was also a preaching man and he proclaimed Jesus. And it says that when they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. So what we see here is we may not have gone to Bible college. I know some of us have. <laughs> some of us haven't. And probably many of you haven't. And it's important that if we're going to be going into full-time ministry that we get proper teaching and it's a great place to be, is in a Bible college or some way in some churches run their own Bible schools and that's good too. But at the end of the day, 
Is the Word of God in our heart? Do we have the Holy Spirit? Then why shouldn't we be able to preach? And preaching isn't just standing on a platform. Preaching is just sharing, sharing Christ. We can all share Christ. And if we feel that we're inadequate, that we don't know enough, or we don't know how to do it, then let's research it. Let's ask. Let's, let's come under some teaching on that. It's important so that we can too be ready to preach or share the gospel when we can. Then we see another instance of Philip in Acts 8, 26 to 40. And we see him here in Acts 8 um, being sent to find somebody. He doesn't know who he's going to see. He doesn't really know why he's going. I'm just going to read again a few verses. It says in verse 26, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian, eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. Philip ran up to the chariot, heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? for his life was taken from the earth. Now the eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with the very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptised him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did, did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared as a tuss and travelled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. I love this, this particular story here in that Philip sees an angel and the angel says to him, go to this particular road. It's a deserted road. Doesn't tell him why. Doesn't tell him when, what purpose, uh, what's going to happen. Just go. And this is, comes to my first point here as we, we see a trait. Obedience. How many times do we ask God why? Why God? Why have I got to do this? Why did you do that? Why has this happened? It's time we stopped asking why and just started obeying because we're not going to know the reasons why. And we don't need to know the reasons why. We just have to trust a God who knows, a God who is sovereign, a God who is over all things. And so even when we go through difficult times in life, why is not the question. It's, Lord, how in this situation that I'm in can I be of service to you? How can I be a blessing to others? How can I find 
someone or something, whether it's in a hospital bed or whether, wherever it is, Lord, I'm here. I'm not going to ask you why I'm here, but while I'm here, can you use me? That's what we should be thinking and praying all the time. He was obedient. He never asked why. He never made an excuse. Again, one of the greats is Moses, and I don't want to belittle Moses in any way, but he excused himself so many times. I can't do it, God. I can't because, I can't because. Philip, a deacon, never asks why. He just does. And I think that is important. Hopefully I've done that in my life. We've done it in our lives. We've never asked God why. We've just gone. Uh, We even stayed here because he told us to. And we do not regret it in any way because we know God is doing an amazing thing and it's just a privilege to be here right now. Um, So obedience, whatever God asks you to do, just do it. Oh, I'm not going to get any salary for it. Well, just do it because God will supply all our needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus, amen? You know, if we don't take steps of faith, how can we honour God? Because God requires from us faith. And faith is saying, God, you are able, more than able, to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. So I'm just going to go. If you tell me to go, I'm going to go. If you know it's God and you know it's right, you do it. And you don't argue with it. The second thing we see here is that Philip was also very enthusiastic. Uh, when, when the Holy Spirit told him to speak to the Ethiopian who he did not know, Ethiopian was probably surrounded by some soldiers and, you know, because, I mean, he was a very important official. Philip just gets up and runs to the chariot. Uh, I love to see that enthusiasm in people. And uh, I think so many times we've asked people to do things in church life and it's been, oh, I'll have to pray about it or, oh, I don't know because, you know, and, and, and to have that enthusiasm and think, People will just get up and run and do what they want, you know, what they're expected to do. And it's just fantastic. Enthusiasm and keenness and passion for God and for ministry. So let's do things joyfully. God loves a cheerful giver. And that means not just giving our finances, that's giving of our time, our talent, and all these other things. Let's be cheerful in it. Because you know what? Why shouldn't we be? God has given us so much. So let's be ready to give to others. God's given, lavished us with grace. Let's lavish people with grace. He's lavished us with love. Let's lavish them with love and and do that with with joy. The third thing we find is that Philip here was a very knowledgeable man because the Ethiopian was reading from the book of Isaiah. Now, you'd think, well, Philip was just a deacon serving widows with their food on a daily basis, uh, but he also knew his scriptures. I mean, the the scriptures were not available on apps back then, right? They weren't even in hard, they weren't even printed books. They were scrolls. In fact, scrolls were very expensive because they were handwritten. So this is why we know the Ethiopian was well off because he would have had to purchase a scroll whilst he was in Jerusalem. And, and that would have cost him a lot of money. And, and Philip may, know, may not have even possessed any scripture. He might not have been able to afford to buy it. So he'd have had to listen to the teachings of the apostles. He had to listen to the teachings in the synagogue and all these other things to get to glean information. And 
I'm sure he'd have read this verse or been taught this verse. But also he relied on the Holy Spirit as well to enlighten him so that he could explain the scripture to the Ethiopian. Uh, I think it's important that we, we understand we've got everything at our disposal. We've got no reason why we can say we don't know the scriptures because we can read it on our apps. We can read it in our Bibles, you know, the the actual printed word of God. We can do all of these things. We can listen to YouTubes. We can listen to podcasts. We can, we can do all of this and we can glean and learn about the word of God. We've got no excuse. So when people ask us, what does this mean? We should be ready to give them an answer. Amen? So he's a knowledgeable man. Now, also, I just want to add one further point. According to Deuteronomy 23, verse 1, the eunuch could not enter the temple. It was just part of the old covenant law. And yet here, the eunuch has entered the presence of God. He's been saved by the blood of Jesus. He's been baptized in the water. And he's going back to a country where he's now going to spread the gospel Incredible. We don't hear about him again, but we know that Ethiopia and that region received the gospel around that time in church history. So incredible to think that someone who was excluded under the old covenant is now under the new covenant, born again, follower of Jesus Christ. Amen. No one is excluded from the kingdom. And now we're going to go 20 years in time to Acts 21, where we see the fourth mention of Philip. And we find here where uh, Paul writes this in Acts 21, verse eight, uh, 8. We continued our voyage from Tyre and landed at Ptolemy, where we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea. Do you remember what we just last read? That Philip had ended up in Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. After being there several days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. So we see that Philip has been a faithful man of God. For 20 years, he's been preaching the gospel in and around Caesarea, faithful in service. He was acknowledged as being one of the seven. That's why we know it's not Philip the apostle, it's Philip the deacon, who's now called Philip the evangelist. And we see less of him, but we still see him being faithful. So he's not starting off revivals himself. He's not traveling to distant places and seeing perhaps angels, or at least we're not told that. He's just being faithful in service. And so he was faithful through the years. And I think oftentimes we see leaders of churches who start off well, but don't end well. In fact, we were just talking about that, weren't we, Vivian and I, just before we started this, this morning session, about those who were perhaps quite prominent in Christian life and ministry, but when it got to their final years, they failed in some way or other. So they didn't end well. I want to end well, 
Amen. And I'm sure you do too. We, we're faithful. God is faithful to us. We need to be continually faithful to him every day. It doesn't mean that we're not going to make mistakes. It doesn't mean that we're going to perhaps sometimes go off the boil. But we need to keep coming back to the source, coming back to the call of God, coming back to our, our call for service and serve faithfully. Even if it means going to Africa in your latter years. And, and may there be many more of those years. You know, we must never say no to God because if we are faithful to him, then he'll be faithful to us and we need to keep on keeping on as Philip did even to his latter years and and never veering from the call of God on his life. And he was faithful, not just in his service to God, he was faithful in his Christian home. It says there that he had four daughters that prophesied. I love that. I absolutely love the idea that something in his life shone through in such a way that his four daughters not only followed Jesus, but also were filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. And I love to see Christian families from generation to generation who know Christ, serve Christ. I know we have brothers, sisters, children, perhaps, that have drifted from God and, and that is, unfortunately, the enemy gets in sometimes and makes the world more attractive. He brings upsets into families, all sorts of discouragements. We know that. We've all got free will. But what I love to see is that God is also the God of the bringing back. And if you have a son, a daughter, a grandchild, or someone related to you, that used to perhaps walk with God and no longer walks with God, just be faithful in your service. God will take care of them. Amen? We can't force them back, but God has a way of bringing back the prodigals. And we need to be faithful in our service. Keep praying. And it may be even after your lifetime that they come back. But God is faithful and just trust him in this. He was faithful in his Christian home. And in fact, what we really see here is that it seems that the daughters were now more prominent in ministry than he was. Did that upset him? No. He was delighted in that. He was rejoicing in that. He was happy in that because his daughters were now prophesying. So they were probably more prominent, as it were, in the local church. They were were more used by God in ministry. And he was happy with that. And there are times perhaps when we have to realize it's time for the next generation to have the prominence. We keep serving faithfully, but if we are doing the right thing and we are teaching into our young people and, and we are setting examples for them to follow, we are giving them opportunities to rise up and, and begin to learn, as Philip would have done as a young man, then we will see the next generation come up and they might do it better than us. Let's hope they do. Amen? Let's hope that they're even more fervent, more passionate for God, more capable, more filled with the Spirit, and more successful in winning people for Christ. Because there's a whole world out there that needs Christ. And we're going to run out of energy one of these days, aren't we? (laughs) We're going to run out of time one of these days. So we need to see the next generation on fire for Christ. We need to see the daughters prophesying, the sons prophesying, as was 
told in Acts 2. We need to see the young people rising up in faith. How are they going to do that? By seeing us, seeing our heart for God, our passion for God, and encouraging them whenever we can in order to be taught, uh, released, encouraged in every way to, 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 to really um, become the men and women of God that God wants them to be. We need to resource them, give them time, give them space, and give them some grace as well. Because we were given grace, weren't we? So let's give them all of that to ensure our sons and daughters will then prophesy and will be in ministry. And then we see, of course, uh, the final point is that Philip was still practically or practical in his ministry. Just as he served on tables, he's now serving Paul. He's opening his home. And I wouldn't be surprised if he's actually making the meals and serving him. I wouldn't be surprised because that was what he was birthed in. That was his, his gifting right at the beginning. And Paul says he stayed for many days. So we can see with this, this man, this ordinary man, has an extraordinary life. And he has several traits, which I'm sure we could already have perhaps, or we could be looking to acquire. And I just want to summarize them because it's, we can perhaps miss out how much we've already discovered about this man. As a deacon, he was a serving man. He was an honest man. He was a spirit-filled man. He was a wise man. As a preacher, he was a fearless man. He was a powerful man. He was a preaching man. As a soul winner with the Ethiopian, he was an obedient man, an enthusiastic man. He was a knowledgeable man. And then finally, uh, in his hospitality, he was faithful in his service to God, faithful in his Christian home, and practical in his ministry of hospitality. So, so someone who wasn't perhaps or isn't considered as one of the greats, I think God considers him as one of the greats because even though he didn't have the big platform or the big profile or calling the fire down from heaven kind of moments, he did significant things for God wherever he was. He served the Lord. He was faithful in it. And that's all that God is asking of us. Wherever we are at, however young or old we are, in whatever area that we serve, whether it be serving the coffees and the teas on a Sunday or afterwards, after we've had this meeting, I always look forward to my coffee and my biscuit. Whether we're doing that, whether we're doing transportation, whether we're doing media or, or, or whatever we're doing, perhaps it's just welcoming people or being on the welcome desk. It doesn't matter what we do. If we are faithfully giving it everything for God and doing it for God, he's going to bless us. He's going to use us and we'll see a fruit from that ministry. And God is able to use anyone, even a person like Philip, who was just asked to serve food to the widows. Amen. Hey guys, thanks for joining us for The Engine Room. Why not follow or subscribe to this podcast and feel free to do the same to our social media pages as well as our YouTube channel. Find out more about our church at homechurchscotland.org.